Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Your Story, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and game publisher based in the Winnipeg area. You can find all of their books and games on yourstory.ca, and when you use one-time promo code JETS2020, you'll receive 15% off your order. Stay tuned to hear more about Your Story's works later in this episode. On tonight's show, we're going to be recapping some of the NHL playoffs action with the Jets now out. Of course, that means that there's plenty of other first-round action and shenanigans to recap and discuss. Most of it won't be super relevant for the Jets, but I'm sure that all of you hockey fans are probably craving at least some kind of distraction in between, especially since we've probably got another month or so before we actually start to really think about the NHL draft. Of course, you know, we've we've talked about plenty of prospects that the Jets may target at 10th overall, but... Who knows what's really going to happen over the next few weeks. Starting us off, though, on Friday evening, we had a whole host of games, starting with Arizona and Colorado. Colorado was in firm control over most of the uh, early goings in the first game, and Arizona had a little bit more of a response in the second game. It was actually a pretty tight scoreline, generally speaking, but what the tale of this series has been is Darcy Kemper basically keeping the Yotes in it, the Yotes getting a couple of chances, and Arizona being very uh, opportunistic on the few opportunities, while Colorado carries the rest of the play and maybe doesn't have quite the same shooting percentage. Ultimately, though, this time the uh, the Colorado Avs actually pulled out the win, a 3-2 victory that I think was scored pretty late into the third period. So the Avs are, again, a really strong team. They have had some issues uh, solving Darcy Kemper, but here they got another win, and they currently lead the series 2 nothing as of Friday although we'll probably get a a bit of a chance to talk about today's game, which does change things a little bit. The game after that was a lot more interesting results-wise because you had Montreal facing the Philadelphia Flyers, and the first game was pretty much all Philadelphia. There were a couple of stretches where the Flyers really struggled to create, especially in the middle period, but for the most part, I think the Flyers were capable of handling things. They shut the Habs down, disrupted their offensive transitions once they started skating, and... uh, I generally think that even though the scoreline was close and there were some hair-raising opportunities for the Habs, Philadelphia probably deserved the win. For some reason, though, I kind of felt like Montreal would have a better second game, and I think that that's probably a bit of an understatement from what actually happened. Quite honestly, the Philadelphia Flyers just didn't show up, and they got completely embarrassed, uh, barely generating many shots on goal, not really being able to skate and keep up with the Habs, and Montreal put up a 5 nothing absolute drubbing against them. Thomas Tatar was a factor. Jesperi Kotkaniemi had a couple of goals, if I recall correctly. It was just pretty ugly if if you're a Flyers fan, and I'm pretty sure Elaine Vigneault probably blew a few blood vessels in between the periods, and especially post-game. Vigneault was not happy and said that he didn't like the Habs running out some of their top power play units, even when they had a huge lead. But at the end of the day, these guys are all professionals. They kind of have to do their job and keep on keeping on. And to be honest, I just feel like... uh, You know, the Flyers have to sort their own crap out. I mean, that was an embarrassing performance, and I think they have another game tomorrow. So, you know, Montreal is in a good position, evening up the series 1-1, absolutely demolishing the Flyers. You know, Montreal, I felt like, was going to have a a decent response after a pretty frustrating first game, but that was probably a little bit much even by my standards. Make no mistake, though, this Montreal team, if Carey Price and the offense can string together enough coherence, is going to be a real pain, especially if they advance past this first round. 
a much closer game that saw a pretty good effort from both the St. Louis Blues and the Vancouver Canucks uh, ended in a 4-3 overtime victory for Vancouver. What's kind of interesting about this game is Vancouver took the early lead, but every time the Canucks would score, St. Louis would claw back a goal and continue to apply a lot of pressure. St. Louis's first game was particularly bad by their standards, but the second game was a lot more of what we're accustomed to. More physical play, more decent scoring opportunities, especially around the slot, better zone transitions, just an all-around better game. And yet, when it came down to it, at the very end of everything, in overtime, a massive, massive Quinn Hughes assist that was a huge stretch pass between, I think, the defensive zone, neutral zone, and the offensive zone found Bo Horvat, and Horvat scored a bit against the run of play. I think Markstrom was getting pelted at the time, and, and this was just a brilliant pass and a really brilliant individual effort from Horvat. Speaking of Bo Horvat, I feel like he's been just an undeniable force throughout this entire postseason. He's already had several goals. He just looks like a totally different player, and I think that uh, in between these two games, he's had two highlight reel goals where he's been able to dance around St. Louis defenders as if they aren't even there. He's been doing this outside-inside cut, especially as he's coming along the right flank that just seems to dummy whatever skater he's going against. This is a really interesting development because for a long time, I think most of us felt like Bo Horvat was not really living up to expectations, especially when everyone kept calling him like a top-six center. The thing that was frustrating with Bo was that he just really didn't have on-ice performances that looked like a top-six center. You know, he might be a top six forward, but as far as being a high-end playmaking and attacking center, he just didn't have those natural abilities and on-ice performance to match the tool sets and skill sets that he has. Now, this is kind of where things have started to change. During this postseason, it's kind of like uh, Bo Horvat decided he was going to turn into Elias Petrosson because he's just been a monster. I mean, it's so hard to contain him, and he just seems to have so much more confidence in both the skating his ability to use his stick work to deke around different defenders, and that predatory inside drive that he uses to get a step on whoever else is backtracking and score. I mean, this is just a totally different version of Bo than we've seen in a long time. And I think that that assertiveness is making him a much more dangerous threat in these one-on-one situations than you'd normally expect. He just keeps scoring too, and I feel like Jordan Bennington is probably in no amount of trouble at this point because he's just not been particularly good. He's also had to contend with some highlight reel, you know, Harlem Globetrotter stuff coming from the Canucks, especially on those uh, one-on-one matchup situations that guys like Horvat are routinely winning. And so I I feel like Vancouver, all told, is in a pretty good spot. They're up 2-0 in the series. They're, you know, very happy playing the hockey that they are. And sure, the Canucks are probably in in some ways not as good as they seem but by the same token they're getting they're getting everything taken care of they've got Jacob Markstrom when they make mistakes and some of the players that they have sworn up and down our elite playmakers are actually starting to live up to those expectations speaking of things that live up to expectations you might be wondering what it's like reading a comic from your story a startup indie comic book graphic novel and game publisher based in the Winnipeg area after having sat down with a few of their ebooks, including The River Knows, their flagship comic set in Winnipeg during the 1960s, I think you're going to enjoy what they have to offer. The River Knows has like this gritty sci-fi noir X-Files meets Sin City vibe going on, which already sets it apart from most comic books. I really don't find that this is a genre crossover that's very common. It has hard-boiled cop action, supernatural elements, and a vague sense of unease throughout the entire opening chapters. 
match that with a really cool art style and the fact that it's set in Winnipeg of all places, you've got a pretty unique reading experience on your hands. And if that one's maybe a little bit too heavy and violent for your tastes, they've got all sorts of lighter series, including Through Space and Time and stuff, which is like a sci-fi Star Trek comedy of sorts. If you're into video games, they are also publishing Alien Machine Glow very soon, which features Old Man Gil, a grumpy old man who, through the intervention of a well-placed meteorite that lands in his cucumber patch, gains the ability to see aliens. Be sure to check out Alien Machine Glow and all of your story's comics at yourstory.ca where you can purchase their ebooks or their limited edition high quality first printing run of their 85 by 11 magazine style comics. Use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back. I hope you all have had a wonderful time listening to our game recaps and some thoughts on some of the series that are currently ongoing. We're going to wrap up this episode with a couple of uh, games that happened yesterday evening and then talk a little bit about something else that happened that's not hockey-related, but I promise you, for you Canadian listeners, you're going to adore it. Keep it a bit of a surprise until after our uh, our next segment. But hockey first. Uh, we're going to talk about Washington and the Islanders because this is a bit of an odd series. I think for the first time the Washington Capitals might be looking a bit old. This is a team that's gone through a lot over the past decade, and I think the Ovechkin era has defined such an era of success, although not necessarily with Cups until recently. I think the question, though, has always been how much longer can this team keep going with everyone aging out and the roster continuing to turn over with lots of depth forwards, an aging core, and kind of an odd mixture of of skilled players, but maybe not quite high-end game-breakers outside of Ovechkin and Yakabrana. Oshie and Backstrom also being in that category, and I I think we're starting to see that Washington is probably hitting its limits. This team is, is definitely showing its age. The veterans are all kind of in their, you know, early to mid-30s and and winding down their careers. And I think the other thing that I'm seeing in this series is that there's just, like, not enough team speed. This squad is very heavy, very slow, and against the Isles, they've really had issues generating any sort of offensive counters, offensive zone pressure, and uh, defensive zone exits. We've kind of seen this with the Jets when they had, like, a lack of collective team speed Uh, And the Jets have tried to address that over the past couple of seasons. Still not really there yet, just because their uh, blue line is kind of 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 the sort where they don't really have puck-moving defensemen. But what I guess I really didn't anticipate is Washington having this much trouble against the Islanders. I mean, the Caps are just not really generating anything. Their power play is struggling a bit, and the the 5v5 offense is just absent. And New York's uh, forecheck is continuing to harass and hound the Caps. The Islanders are not really a high-end scoring team, but they're generating quite a few goals off of just really intensive persistence, a lot of physicality, a continued grinding forecheck, all the kind of stuff that teams tell you you should do if you want to win, but a lot of these things don't always actually turn into goals or or, uh, victories. This time, though, for the Islanders, it's working. And if you're the Caps, quite frankly, the alarm bells are sounding right now because the Caps are in danger of sinking this series. They're down 2-0, and there's just not many opportunities for them to come back. I mean, Washington is is getting hammered, they're really struggling to create, and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Calgary continues to be in a decent spot in their series against the Dallas Stars. They had, I believe, a back-to-back after uh, dropping yesterday's game to Dallas. That one was not a particularly close performance, although the scoreline makes it look close because Dallas almost fumbled the the game away. But last night's performance was just a, a fairly even matchup after the Calgary Flames kind of stumbled early in the game, and then it just seemed like 
Dallas struggled to create much of anything offensively, and the Flames had a couple of nice opportunistic goals. One of them was like a really strange one that I, I thought was really funny. I think TJ Brody blasted one from the point, and it just somehow went through all the traffic and right into the net. It was so weird that uh, the Dallas Stars goalie, Anton Hudobin, was very confused and just kind of looked around, totally bewildered as to how on earth the puck even got past him without there being interference. What he probably didn't realize was that the puck had already gone past him and it was a good goal, so there was nothing to really challenge or even argue. He just looked as confused as the rest of us. Speaking of Kodobin, his former teammate from Boston, Tuka Rosk, has actually opted out of the postseason. And of course, everyone had like 60,000 opinions on this because no one else has really opted out of the playoffs. There are a couple of guys, maybe 10 or so, I would say. I don't really know what the exact number is, but it's it's enough where it's a, it's a d- double-digit number, I'm pretty sure. But it just shouldn't be the kind of thing where people make a big deal out of it. It's not. You know, I think Rosk wants to go home, spend time with his newborn and the rest of his kids and his wife. And I feel like that should be entirely his right and entirely his choice and not something that people should really have thoughts on beyond, you know, I hope he gets to enjoy his time. These guys all have private lives that they want to live. They all need to enjoy what time they have because you don't ever get this back. I mean, your family time and everything, all of that stuff really should come first. Sports are always very important, but I think his teammates would absolutely endorse him going home, spending time with his family, and and not missing those moments. I think he said something to the effect of he thought he could do this, but it just was a little bit much and he wanted to go home. And I feel like there are probably more than one guy thinking the same thing. They've all been away from their families for uh, several weeks now, and I'm sure that that's not easy. You know, in some cases, they will be allowed to bring in family as they near the uh, the Stanley Cup finals and whatnot. But beyond that, it's going to be pretty private. Even the rest of us ordinary folks just staying at home and being in quarantine is not easy. But, you know, we're making it work. And I think that it's also a big sacrifice for some of the pro athletes who have to go in these bubbles and really not see anyone outside of their teammates and staff for the remainder of the tournaments. I know I probably wouldn't want to do that, and I'm I'm very impressed that some of these guys have put on a brave face and kept going with it. I mean, sure, they are getting paid to do it, right? So it is understandable that it's a professional thing. But by the same token, everyone suffers from the same sorts of mental struggles, uh, stressors, and anxiety creators. So I think it's a lot that these guys are going through, and I'm glad that Ross took the, the option that said, you know, I want to go home and spend time with my family. I think that he absolutely deserves that. It's his choice. And I think that more guys should feel free to exercise that right. That's going to wrap up our hockey coverage uh, this evening. But on our next segment, we're going to talk about a Canadian starlet who has some pretty close ties to, I I would say, the Canadian sports community who had a really special outing yesterday. And I think you're going to enjoy hearing about it. When it comes to world football, Canada generally doesn't have a particularly big reputation. Their women's team is fantastic and is definitely one of the top programs out there. But as far as like the men's national team is concerned, you haven't really seen many Canadian starlets stepping into the limelight. So when somebody does, it's a particularly noteworthy moment. And I don't think that there's anyone who stands out quite as much as Alfonso Davies. Davies has such a tremendous story. I believe he is the... Uh, the son of immigrants who fled the second Liberian civil war and I believe moved to Canada. And so, you know, Davies has had quite the path to get to where he is today and where he is today is playing for one of the best teams in the world, if not the best football team, I would say. Um, And that's of course, FC Bayern as a Borussia Dortmund fan that kind of hurts me to say this, but I truly think Bayern this year, they're the best team in the world. The stuff that they do is just ridiculous. Uh, Amazing team. 
they have been dominating Europe, not just Germany, but Europe in general, and they just tore through uh, Barcelona, you know, with Lionel Messi and quite a few other great players. But Alfonso Davies absolutely put on a clinic in this game, and he had one of the best assists you'll ever see, uh, basically tearing apart Nelson Semedo on the left flank. You've probably seen the highlights on Twitter already because everyone was talking about it. It was an incredible moment and truly just an outstanding, outstanding dribble, attack. I mean, whatever you want to even talk about it because there was such a great sequence of moments where he dribbles in uh, on the left side, pretty far outside of the box, waits for Semedo to commit, kind of fools him, dummies him, then cuts inside and finds, I, I forget who it was, the uh, the actual goal scorer. It might have been Thomas Muller or something, but either way, just an amazing setup and a near-perfect assist. But we've seen this time and time again from Davies, where he's able to go uh, from being essentially a deeper left back to transitioning to a left mid to, to then a left wing in the attacking third, and he just creates so much havoc and chaos. He's able to cut inside the box like few players in his position can, and he really is, I would say, probably the most versatile offensive and defensive threat that we've really seen. It's rare that somebody like him has so much ability in in the final third and especially around the box and creating offensive opportunities, but it was also defensively resilient. I mean, he's able to track back pretty much any uh, forward in the world, pick off the ball and force turnovers, cut down passing lanes, and really kickstart transition going the other way. There just aren't many players on the face of planet Earth who bring the kind of skill set work ethic and commitment that Alfonso Davies does paired with that excellent excellent technical skill I hate saying you know something really crazy or or hyperbolic but I, I really feel like Davies is on track to potentially be one of the top five fullbacks of all time he does things that I've never seen a fullback even attempt and it's not just that he even attempts them it's that he it's that he successfully pulls all of these moves off he really is a tremendous player I, I think we're all very blessed to get to watch him and see him grow in so many capacities, and I really wish that he played for Borussia Dortmund because he truly is one of the most outstanding talents, and I feel like now that he's played against Barcelona, people are going to start to see that he truly is a special, special player. This kid has so much more to give, and I think that it'd be crazy for anyone to overlook what he is turning into, which is truly one of the best fullbacks in, in football history. I think that he has the potential to be a, a, a really high-end, really highly regarded generational talent because there's just not many players who come along who have his skill set and his positional ability. There, it's a, you know, it's hard to find attacking fullbacks who are quality, much less attacking fullbacks who have the kind of work ethic and ability to track back and pick off passes and, and make defensive plays. People talk about Jason Robertson of uh, Liverpool being better, but he's not. He's just not. I, I really think that Alfonso Davies is the best left back in the world and maybe the best fullback, period. You know, people haven't talked about him, I, I think, in the same way that they talk about Virgil van Dijk, but I think they really need to because he's in that franchise-defining elite tier of player who just seems to know exactly where to be at exactly the right time and still makes those plays no matter what. If you want a truly phenomenal story and, and somebody that you can easily root for, even if his team is maybe not my favorite, Alfonso Davies has to be it. You gotta watch him. I think you're gonna love what you see out of him, and he has such a bright future ahead, and I'm glad that I'm alive to see it.
That's going to do it for tonight's episode. I hope you folks enjoyed our NHL recaps. We'll have some more content for you tomorrow, recapping even more games that happened today, as well as whatever happens tomorrow afternoon and evening. Thanks so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast, hosted by Sarah Evampato. Have a great night, and go Jets go!